0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Lynn Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmersday, Day, December 20th, 2021. Happy Christmas, everyone. On the show today, news, news surveys, including one where Universal asks about Genie Plus and maybe some listener questions. In our main segment, Jim Hill gives us the history of holiday overlays at Walt Disney World. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that when Sleeping Beauty spends all day in bed, she's a beautiful princess. But when he does it, it's all, ooh, clinical depression. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going?
1: Uh, It's going well, Len. I wonder, though, did you notice earlier this week we lost Anne Rice? Oh, she's the uh, interview with a vampire author, among other things. That's right. But like Stephen King, she was putting out a lot of books. You know how Stephen King actually used the Richard Bachman name? Anne Rice did a series of books under a pseudonym as well, an uh, A.N. And these were four books about the story of Sleeping Beauty. We have the. The claiming of Sleeping Beauty in eighty three, uh, Beauty's punishment in eighty five, followed by Beauty's release, and also in eighty five, and then final book of the series, Beauty's Kingdom in two thousand and fifteen. And Len, the only polite thing to say here is Sleeping Beauty is not awakened with a kiss. <laughs> This is the
0: R-rated version of the...
1: Uh... Oh, no, no. Wait, wait. This is NC-17 Len. Oh. So the parents out there, not something to get the children for this holiday. But yeah, she worked the Sleeping Beauty side of the street. And in fact, it's interesting you mentioned Interview with a Vampire because there was the film version in 94. And I want to say that AMC just landed the right to do this for series and it got green lit in june of this year so even though we lost Anne rice she continues on maybe we'll get the uh maybe we'll get the the sleeping beauty books as a
0: uh, as a series on netflix who knows uh,
1: <laughs> i will be
0: averting my eyes it's, you know, it's not coming if... on disney plus so i was going oh, I was no, to do it on the list no. of uh, streaming services mm. i don't know maybe it hulu who knows uh, maybe maybe All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Scott Tatelman, Laura Andrews, and Jay Piedrafit. And longtime subscribers, Colleen Parker, M. Paria8, and Amy B. Jim, these are the Disney music executives who discovered a young Wheezy, the toy penguin crooning in a Las Vegas nightclub, and convinced him to sing You've Got a Friend in Me, at the end of Slinky Dog Dash at Disney's Hollywood Studios. They say that negotiations were tough, but fair, and that in the contract, Wheezy can sing Tom Jones if the studios ever brings back evening extra magic hours. True story.
1: Oh, cool. I I have to admit, I love that AA figure. That's actually one of my only complaints about Slinky Dog Dash is you really don't get a whole lot of time in that space to see that AA figure. And
0: the thing that I love about it is it's really Robert Goulet. Singing, does the voice right? (laughs) (laughs) No, get over. I mean, it's a real singer, it's not just some, you know, some Disney guy. It's Robert Awesome. All right, Jim, let's do the news, folks. The Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry free travel experience every time, book online at StorybookDestinations.com. Jim, every show should begin with a round of self congratulations. On last week's show, we mentioned that Epcot was doing some late-night fireworks testing, and we thought it was for a holiday show. And now Epcot has announced a special New Year's Eve countdown with fireworks, so that's good.
1: <sighs> yeah, no, cool, cool.
0: And speaking of Epcot, over uh, there, flower and garden dates for 2022 have been announced. Uh, it'll run from March 2nd through July 4th, so four months. And do we expect food and wine to begin the following week? as it has been lately. So
1: uh, so more festivals in Epcot's future. We knew this was coming. I mean, especially World Celebration, World Discovery, and I, I always blank the other one. World Nature? There we Discovery, go. Discovery, Nature, Communication, yeah. Yeah, this is the festival park from pretty much this point forward. So
0: Awesome. And in other news, we've got a bunch of surveys sent in from our listeners. Thank you guys for sending all of these in. First one up is from Bernie, who says, Disney's sending out surveys asking about our experiences during the 50th anniversary celebration. If you say it wasn't impressive, you get an interesting look at the reasons people are giving for that. Here's an example that someone posted to www.magic.com with the questions. All right. So Bernie sent this in. The first question is, is how did the Walt Disney world 50th anniversary celebration compare to your expectations? And the three answers are about what I expected better and worse. If you answer worse, the next question is this, and I'd like our listeners to sort of think about their responses, especially if you've already been to the 50th and you've seen this. All right, so which, if any of the reasons below, best describe why you felt the Walt Disney World 50th anniversary celebration didn't live up to your expectations? One, the fireworks shows didn't celebrate the 50th anniversary, the celebration didn't celebrate classic Disney and the lacked nostalgia, the special food and beverage offerings were limited. It wasn't special enough for a 50th anniversary. Crowds made it difficult to enjoy the celebration. The merchandise selection or variety was limited. There were long lines to purchase the special food and beverage offerings. The commemorative entertainment for the celebration was limited. The decor was limited. It seemed like just another day in the park. Ooh, that hurts. Mm -hmm. Um, It was not as good as other Disney celebrations. I think, Jim, we've said that nothing lives up to the 100 years of magic. Mm -hmm. Everyone should be checking that box. It was difficult to find the special food and beverage offerings. There were long lines to purchase the merch. The 50th anniversary merch I wanted was unavailable. The prices for the merch were high. The fireworks spectaculars were not as good as previous shows. So Let me just say, Jim, half these questions are around the food and the merchandise. And and that tells me... Disney fundamentally does not understand what we expected out of the 50th anniversary. <laughs> the uh, A cupcake with a little piece of chocolate saying 50 on it is mm-hmm. is so far down the list of what I was thinking of for the 50th, I don't know why they spent that much time crafting those questions on the survey. This tells me
1: that they don't understand what went wrong. Disney never writes a survey unless they're already looking for a specific set of answers they typically tailor the questions because they're, they're trying to sculpt the survey in such a way that it delivers a, a specific set of answers. And yeah. the fact that it addresses so many specifics about the 50th anniversary celebration, it's like, what I want to know is who wrote the survey? I mean, the thing is, almost half the questions deal with, mm-hmm. uh, did we not give you enough
0: food or merchandise? Yeah. Like, dude, and, but there's not a single question like, I was expecting a new ride. Yeah. Or Maybe there's some sort of promotion or oh. maybe you you know, we handed out hats for Disney Plus Day, but nothing for the fiftieth anniversary. Like half the questions can't be on food and merch unless you want a food and merch
1: answer, right? These days it's Disney Parks products and experiences with that second word being the important one. So, yeah. you know, if they're asking about merch, they're asking about food. That's because in the Bob Pick era, that's how we're looking at the parks. It's like, Hey, welcome in. Hey, <laughs> have you noticed the churro card? Yeah.
0: I'll give, uh, I'll give Bernie credit. He did not select many, if uh, if any at all, of the responses around food and Merch. His, mm-hmm. his were more around, everything was limited, there wasn't much entertainment, uh, it wasn't special enough, so so props to you for me. Thank Bernie. you, Bernie. Yeah, those are the yep. right answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also got a survey, Jim, from an unnamed listener who mm-hmm. says, here are some survey questions I got from Universal last week regarding how I feel about Disney's Genie, Genie Plus, and individual Lightning Lane offerings. So... Jim, I'm not sure why Universal would be sending this out, but I have some ideas. We'll talk about it when we're done with the questions. Mm -hmm. Here we go. Uh, So first question is this. We'd like to ask you about expedited access products. These products provide faster access to rides and attractions at theme parks, allowing guests to skip the regular standby line and have shorter wait times. These products can be included in park admission, or they may be purchased in addition to park admission. What types of skip the line products, if any, have you used... At theme parks, select all that apply. And the answers are products included in park admission, products purchased in addition to park admission, products included with hotel stay, and none of these. Then the next question is this. Please select which statement best reflects your attitude about these products. I would not pay extra money for skip the line access. I may pay a little for a product that decreased some of my wait times, or I would pay a lot to have the shortest possible wait. Wow. That's pretty clear. Right, Jim? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. All right. Um, next question. So the, so far we're talking about attitudes towards the whole, the whole process, right? Select which statements below you agree with regarding skip the line products. Uh, number one, rising crowds in parks is increasing the value of these products. Number two, parks should not sell these types of products. Number three, if the demand is there for paid upgrades, it's fair for parks to utilize these types of products. Number four, more of these products are being offered. And number five, none of the above. And the next question is where Universal gets uh, gets kind of interesting. Below is a list of various features associated with Walt Disney World. Please select your level of familiarity with each product or feature. And the, uh, the options are, I've used it before. I'm familiar with it, but I've never used it. I heard of it, but I'm not familiar with it. And I've never heard of it. All right. So I've used it. I'm familiar with it, but I've never used it. I've heard of it, but not familiar with it. And I've never heard of it. So there's the four four possible Mm. options for knowledge. First one is FastPass Plus, then Lightning Lane, Genie, Genie Plus, and PhotoPass. And then if you answer uh, Mm. that you're familiar with these or that you've used them, you get these questions. We'd like to ask you some questions about Disney World's FastPass Plus product, that was retired in March, 2020. Don't worry if you don't know about FastPass Plus, we'd just like to get your thoughts on a few things. FastPass Plus replaced the previous paper system, bringing the FastPass experience online and into the My Disney Experience app. Based on your understanding of the FastPass Plus system, what would you say each of the following characteristics are favorable or unfavorable, right? So do you think, Jim, that it's favorable or unfavorable that fast passes could be
1: booked in advance of your visit? What would you say? I've always been against the homework aspect of (laughs) going to Walt Disney World. And I'm that way about the dining. And, you know, I mean, I I get that you have to book your hotel room in advance, but the fact that, you know, you're expected, you know, 180 days out or 90 days out, not a big fan of this.
0: Okay. So you say unfavorable? Unfavorable. That's what our uh, listeners said as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how about this? Favorable or unfavorable? Guests can only book fast passes at one park per day.
1: Again, not a fan of the idea. So. <laughs> All right. Additional fast passes could only be booked once the first three were used. If you got to book them, I guess the fact that you had to wait to use the three, I get that, I understand that, but still, not a fan. All right, fair enough. Mm-hmm. You stated
0: you used fast pass on a past trip to Walt Disney World. When did you book your initial passes for each day of your visit? If you visited more than one time, select what you did most often. So did you book on the day my booking window opened? Did you book before your trip, but after the booking window opened? Did you book when you first arrived to Orlando? Did you book upon first arrival to the park? Or did you not use the FastPass system at all or not remember? All right. Here's a question I love though, Jim. This is, this is okay. my, I think this might be my favorite of the entire survey. Okay. Why do you think... Walt Disney World began offering the FastPass Plus service, select all that apply, and oh God, if Universal had called me Jim, I would have (laughs) given them a page worth of answers, but here they are. Um, 1. Spread out crowds. Mm -hmm. 2. Equal opportunity for all guests to have shortened wait times. 3. Alleviate long waits. 4. Improve guest experience. 5. Encourage guests to stay on site. 6. Control guest movement. 7 encourage guests to book their visit well in advance uh eight allow guests to pre-plan ahead of their trip or nine none of the above that's beautiful i mean i think that encompasses everything that's really nice
1: no they did a great job
0: yeah i mean they've got the encouraging guests to stay on site they've got the improved guest experience thing which i mean those were two of the the things that we know disney was talking about right back in the day anyway Fantastic. All right. Next question. Which of the following, if any, describe your thoughts on using the FastPass Plus system? Select all that apply. Uh, 1. I stayed at a Disney or partner hotel specifically for the early FastPass Plus booking window. 2. My experience in park benefited from the FastPass system. 3. It was stressful using FastPass Plus. 4. Booking FastPass Plus ahead of time got me excited for the trip. Five. Standby lines took longer due to the priority of FastPass Plus access. Or six, none of the above. So it's possible actually to say that um, your experience benefited from FastPass Plus, but it was still stressful. Those are not either or here. So you you could tell if Disney had designed the survey, Jim, it would be like, how magical do you think FastPass Plus was? (laughs) Amazingly magical, stupendously magical, magically magical, wondrously magical. (laughs) <laughs> I yeah, cannot I, express using contemporary thought how wonderful I thought
1: FastPass was, you know, or, or e, all of the above. Yeah, No, but, but again, I love that Universal just put it on the table there that, yeah, it helped, but yes, it was stressful. Well, the thing I like about
0: this question is it looks at the question of advanced reservations, mm-hmm. both from the perspective of what did I get as a guest for it? And what does Disney guest get get for it, right? So, right. Um, so I stayed at a Disney or partner hotel specifically for the early FastPass Plus booking window. That's a benefit both to the guest and to Disney, right? Mm-hmm. My experience in park benefited from the FastPass system. Again, benefit for two people there. It was stressful using the FastPass system, right? That's just on the guest side. Um, but getting people excited for the trip, that's huge. Right. Mm-hmm. right, And then talking about standby lines taking longer due to the priority of Fastpass access. I don't think the average guest knows whether that's true. I think here Universal is trying to measure the perception of All whether right. it was true. Right. Because perception is reality in a lot of cases. Right. There we go. There we Great go. question, design. All right. Here's mm-hmm. the next one Which of the following statements most applies to how Fastpass Plus impacted your decisions to visit the parks as a Walt Disney World annual pass holder? If you relate to both statements, pick the one that speaks to how you acted most often. All right. So either or Jim, you got to pick one or the other. Okay. I would check for better fast passes to become available, or I didn't often check back after booking fast passes. I think Mm. most of our people would say they checked back. Sure. Sure. Number two, and I love this because again, this is a park capacity question. Mm -hmm. I didn't visit if fast passes I wanted weren't available, or I would book any fast passes available and wait for the others.
1: Yeah,
0: man. If they were if they were talking about things like virtual queues and rise of the resistance, I think mm. this would get. I know I know exactly how I would uh, I would answer this. Absolutely. Number three, I planned my visits around fast pass availability
1: at each park, or I selected the days to visit each park and then booked fast passes. Remember, this question is being asked of an annual pass holder as opposed to somebody who's booking a vacation package to go to Right. It's true. But
0: I love the question though, because these are very specific, very detailed questions from which, I mean, Universal can glean a lot about how Disney customers felt about Disney products Mm -hmm. without actually being inside Disney. These are great questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Last Mm -hmm. one is, Mm -hmm. I had a system. To get the fast passes I wanted, or I booked what I could when I could. I love mm-hmm. it. I've got a system. I know, guy. I know. <laughs> All right. Next question. We'd like to find out more about how you use the fast pass system as an annual pass holder. Select how often the following statements apply to you. So here are the answers very often, often, um, neither often nor not often, and so on. Mm-hmm. There were rides I wouldn't book fast passes for, even if they were available. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely often. There's like, I mean, shows, right? I would visit just because a fast pass was available for one of my favorite rides. I would visit for half days with back-to-back fast passes booked to minimize waiting in line. I always booked three fast passes when I was planning a visit. I canceled my fast passes. If my plans changed, then I wasn't going to the park. So, Jim, that is directly a question about park operations. Like if we commit to giving people this and they don't show up, are Mm. they going to tell us that they're not showing up? Mm, That's a capacity question right there. Interesting. Yeah. And so is the next one, actually. I would book fast passes for days. I wasn't sure I could go to the park. (sighs) Wow. Good yeah. good question, though. I mean, again, if you're trying to roll out a system and look at the impacts, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. Now we get into the new stuff. Mm-hmm. Below, you'll find information about the new Genie and Lightning Lane products, and they actually helpfully include a link to Disney's explanation of what these things do. Uh, the Lightning Lane system is a new paid system replacing FastPass Plus that gives guests expedited access to select rides and attractions. There are two ways to purchase and select arrival windows for Disney's new Lightning Lane entrances replacements for FastPass. And then they explain what they are. I'm not going to go into it, but it's actually a great explanation that Universal gave for how it works. Right? Here's the question. And again, listeners, I would love for you guys to think about these answers. Why do you think a Disney guest may choose not to buy Genie Plus? Select all that apply. Virtual Queue is offered for free for new popular rides. I don't want set times to ride. Mm-hmm. It doesn't include every ride. Regular standby lines have reasonable weights it's confusing or I don't understand the product. It's too expensive. I got to wake up early each morning to have the largest (laughs) ride selection. Boy, is that true? Um, I plan to buy only individual Lightning Lane passes for the top tier attractions. It uses up too much battery. And Jim, (laughs) let me just tell you, the people at Universal who wrote the survey have used Genie Plus if they've got these answers, right?
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: I can can ride the top rides during early entry hours for resort guests. Mm I don't want to be on my phone all day. Beautiful, beautiful questions. Oof. Next next one is this. Hmm. Based on your current understanding of Genie Plus and Lightning Lanes, how much do you agree or disagree with the following statements? It creates more work for guests. And Jim, the first time I read this, I snorted hmm. orange juice through my nose.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay.
0: It was a good idea for Disney to offer this. So, Jim, when I first read this one, I actually choked on that orange juice, mm-hmm. which was coming back down my nose. This feature is helpful to guests. I'm mm-hmm. excited by this feature. I will be visiting Disney more often than before because of this feature. Or it goes against the Disney brand to sell exclusive access. Ooh, there it's we like are. they can see into, into <laughs> Disney's soul, Jim. <laughs> I I really got to say, I mean, we've read a lot of, you know, universal surveys, you know, both on the air and then privately. This Mm -hmm. is really well-crafted. Absolutely. Absolutely. How much do you agree or disagree with the following statements related to Genie Plus and Lightning Lane? Mm -hmm. I need to wake up early to get the most out of it. And our our survey taker said, strongly agree. Mm -hmm. The more money I pay, the better my experience will be. And our survey taker said, strongly agree. Mm -hmm. I need to stay on property to get the most out of it. And again, strongly agree. Mm-hmm. Does the implementation of Genie and uh, Genie Plus and Lightning Lanes change your view of the Walt Disney Company? Yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, if you answer yes, then the very last question is: Does your opinion change in a more positive or more negative way? Extremely positive, somewhat positive, neither positive nor negative, somewhat negative, or extremely negative. And I'll give you a hint our respondent did not say positive. Great survey by Universal. Fantastic questions. So you can tell, like they're, I think here, Jim, if we talk about the survey, they're kicking the tires on this. And I think the first thing that they're trying to see is how are Disney fans mm-hmm. perceiving these programs, right? Genie Plus and Lightning.
1: And let's remember, you had that encounter on the first day of the 50th anniversary celebration that that guy who walked up to you who had actually worked on Genie and, and Lightning Lane, who then talks was about. Who's leaving it. to work for Universal. Universal, on where. I'm not mentioning any names here. <laughs> okay. But, but the whole notion of uh, obviously they are looking at this, but at the same time, what continues to happen? Did you, for example, see that series of linked tweets that Darren, the dog lover, Ah, uh, did from Disneyland Park. Oh, and- so
0: yeah, this was uh, somebody that we don't know, mm-hmm. but was trying to use um, Genie, not Genie Plus or Lightning Lane, but trying oh. to use Genie in Disneyland, hey. and oh, my um, God. it it I mean it was basically the same experience we had in World. It didn't route him to the rides he wanted to ride. It no. kept sending him to either things that were closed mm-hmm. or to you know remote parts of the park where no one was. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Or, or for that matter, when, you know, he couldn't get on something, they would immediately attempt to upsell him, whether it's like, hey, go make a droid or hey, go buy a lightsaber.
0: Yeah. So I think at, at one point he said that
1: he had he had been on either zero or one
0: rides, but already mm-hmm. had been upsold twice on like Rise of the Resistance or something like that. Uh, yeah. 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 And it was kind of funny, you know, reading his, reading mm-hmm. where Genie was sending him. Like, I think mm-hmm. both you and I thought the same thing, that this was just a crowd distribution strategy, right? Oh, it's,
1: Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, you're okay. not sending
0: somebody to see the petrified rock over by mm-hmm. Big Thunder because
1: it's of its historical significance. You're trying to get them out of the line for Space Mountain. Yeah, yeah. Well, for me, what was just fascinating was to watch this thing blow up on Twitter. And for him to basically have the same exact experience that, that you and the team from Touring Plans had, had.
0: The the thing that I that I noticed, um, you know, from from this set of tweets is uh, this guy was a, a Disneyland veteran, an annual pass holder who knew his way not only around the park, mm-hmm. but who knew his way around the app. So what he was able to do, mm-hmm. you know, as he went through his, um, you know, as he was posting these tweets, he was able to uh, navigate through the app to cancel out. Mm. You know, those recommendations that Genie was making. And, you know, mani- he knew how to manipulate the system mm. to get Genie to pay more attention to the things that he wanted to do. I don't think Genie ever recommended for him the six or eight attractions that he selected. Like, he never got all of them. No. But he knew he knew enough about MDE mm. to get it to do more of what he wanted. And, and so my response to that was, but what about the, the first-time guests? Are they really going to know the ins and outs of a, of a, of an app like MDE mm-hmm. and know like how to delete things or ask for updates. I mean, that's, that's asking a lot, right? You're trying to, you're traveling, trying to navigate a park. You're trying to figure out what the rides are. Now you got to figure out what happens if you push various buttons on the app. That seems like a lot of extra overhead. No, I, I just don't think people are going to do it. And I think Disney knows mm-hmm. that people aren't going to do it. They're just going to go with the recommendation.
1: Well, speaking of which, though, to double back to the Universal survey here, and again, an incredibly well-written survey that, that, you know, they got a lot of great data out of that if they got enough responses. But they're asking some very specific questions, just trying to get a real-time sense of how are people reacting to this thing? What's the thinking in the marketplace? Because, face it, Universal does not want to repeat Disney's mistakes. Right. It, so the,
0: the interesting thing for me for that perspective is uh, of the three products, right, mm-hmm. of Genie, Genie Plus, and Individual Lightning Lane, mm-hmm. all of the questions were around Genie Plus and Lightning Lane. In other words, the paid access. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of funny because like, uh, you know, I once somebody sent me this survey, I sent it on to a friend of mine who works in, in an uh, engineering role mm-hmm. at Universal. And they said, for the love of God don't try and build a system like genie because, but if you do call me first and I'll tell you what they did wrong. Like, like, let's just go have, let's just go have lunch and I'll, you know, you you can buy the lunch and I will tell you what not to do. Okay. Um, But I think, you know, so I think, you know, universal has express pass here and they've got the paid Mm -hmm. version of it. Right. And they've got the benefit for hotel guests and so Mm -hmm. on. And they've got a benefit for annual pass holders, but -hmm. this could be sort of like their first step at saying, if we were to fine tune, Mm-hmm. Or to revamp the Express Pest system. Could we do it in a way that doesn't annoy people as much as the amount of money that we would make? Like, could we, could we make, could we make more money mm-hmm. and yet not irritate people the way Genie Plus seems to have done? Because I gotta tell you, like when I look at the um, the reader comments coming in from our unofficial guide in touringplans.com reader surveys, mm-hmm. I mean, we get a bunch every day. And since October 19th, when Genie Plus rolled out, I have yet to see a single comment that says anything positive about Genie Plus or Individual Lightning Light. Not literally, not a single comment has said anything good about it. Every day we get negative comments. Mm-hmm. It's too complicated. I don't want to spend this much time on my phone. I don't want to spend this much money. It, you know, I, I don't want to wake up at 7 a.m. and have to do three things at once. You know, Just a bunch of things
1: no 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 and you know if they're posting it there then they are telling their friends and family about this as well and and oh yeah this is sort of the cliche in the industry if you have a good time you tell three people if you have a bad time you tell seven yep which brings me back to that disney survey about you know asking about the 50th that this shows that they at least have a sense that things are going south you know and it's like is there a way to get ahead of this and I don't know. I honestly don't know.
0: All right. So, speaking of things going south, Jim, I'm going to refer back to that in about two minutes. Um, But first, listener questions. Uh, Mm -hmm. One from Erin, who says, uh, Another Disney dish listener here from the aerospace industry. Ah. I'm a materials science engineer supporting the International Space Station. Mm -hmm. I find your show delightful, and it is the highlight of my podcast week. I think she's meant to send this into Ira Glass. Yes. Okay. Yes. Anyway. So uh, some grown-up some, somewhere. Everybody <laughs> might be confused. You never know. Um, engineers thrive on facts and data, which your podcast provides in abundance. Please let Christina know that her input on food and park experiences are no less valuable than the number crunching about wait times. Cupcakes mm-hmm. are data too. With all that I learned from your show, I hope my trip in 2022 will be that much more enjoyable. A stop at Nine Dragons for the chili oil is definitely on the list. So, Jim, I promise you mm-hmm. that my next Christmas... We're going to have Cupcakes or data 2 t-shirts on sale <laughs> on the website. Thank you, uh, thank you, Aaron, for sending that in. I will pass it on uh, to Christina as well.
1: Okay. I, I can get behind that idea. All right. Uh, next email
0: from Samantha who says, I'm an avid listener of the Disney Dish podcast. So the first thing I have to say is that Christina is awesome. And you guys are great too, of course. It's like I tell my mom. All I need to do is be, is be not the least favorite. <laughs> and that's fine. I'm comfortable with it. Secondly, I'm a research analyst, so I've spent my life relying on data analysis to formulate views. Mm -hmm. This makes me especially appreciative of your approach to everything Disney. I'm hoping to book the Galactic Star Cruiser experience for December of 2022, so a year from now. Mm -hmm. But the booking window doesn't yet go that far out. Why do you think that is and when can we expect to see dates beyond September of 2022? I'm looking to book for my family and for my brother's family as a gift but this thing is so expensive that I'm kind of half hoping I miss it when they open those dates. So Jim, speaking of things going south, Mm -hmm. (laughs) have you seen the number of cancellations for the Galactic Star Cruiser?
1: Or more to the point, have you seen the availability open up in mid-May? Well, that's that's because of cancellations. So here's the interesting thing, right? When you
0: make the deposit, Disney says right up front, some of that deposit is Mm non-refundable. So these people who are canceling, Mm Are saying I would rather waste whatever it is, 20%, $1,000? I would mm-hmm. rather waste $1,000 on this mistake than pay the five or $6,000 or whatever it is and be disappointed based on the videos that the preview videos that Disney's recently released. So have you seen these, Jim? The one with um, Josh Tomorrow with the toy <laughs> lightsaber and then the um, the welcome
1: email? This is going you know, to arguably the greatest marketing company on the planet. I don't know if you've been following the back and forth fight that was going on between Sony and Disney and Marvel Studios about the proper way to promote Spider-Man No Way Home. The notion of how much is too much to give away. And, you know, there's a lot of secrets that were deliberately held back out of, out of the ad campaign. But the fact sure. that when the tickets went on sale, it broke Fandango. Fandango went down for hours because it was right. that much yeah. People couldn't get in, yeah. Yeah. So again, this is Disney. Disney knows how to market things. So to look at how bad the marketing so far has been for Galactic Star Cruiser. Oh,
0: the reviews online have just been crushing. So first of all, Josh Tomorrow mm-hmm. um, was in a couple minute video where mm-hmm. he was supposed to be demonstrating the lightsaber experience. So a cast mm-hmm. member comes in hands Josh Tomorrow a lightsaber Mm -hmm. and he goes through the motions of the lightsaber training in the Galactic Star Cruiser. And Mm -hmm. uh, fans, you know, rightfully pointed out a couple of things. One, they handed Josh Tomorrow a plastic toy lightsaber. Mm -hmm. And that is not the kind of thing that people are expecting in a $5,000 trip, Mm -hmm. right? The second thing was the effects that they showed in the video were not, I'm not going to say amateurish, but not compelling, Mm -hmm. right? So again, If you're paying, you know, $1,250 per person per day, Mm -hmm. and this is one of the signature experiences, it's got to look better than that. And the thing I keep coming to about this is like, you know, when people say, well, what do you want? Right. What I want is something like uh, the $35 experience I paid for with the void. Mm -hmm. Right. You remember when, when we both did the void and we did the review on it a couple of years back, I came in saying it was the best thing. Um, that Disney done with Star Wars in like Mm -hmm. 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. Super impressed with the technology. Um, I thought the story was great. The technology was excellent. And for $35, it was a bargain, right? Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My
0: perspective is if I'm paying 30 times as much per Mm -hmm. day, Mm -hmm. I expect something maybe not 30 times better because I don't know that you can do 30 Mm -hmm. times better, but I want something at least comparable to that VR experience. And from what I can see from that Josh Tomorrow video, Mm-mm. that is nothing at all like what The Void was doing. And so the interesting thing about that is Disney took the video down, didn't they? They did. From they YouTube, did. yeah. there was They got so many negative comments, mm-hmm. ratioed, the kids call it, that uh, that Disney deleted the video. Mm-hmm. And then the second video that they put out, which was sort of like a welcome to the Galactic Star Cruiser, mm-hmm. here's the basics. Um, you know, People complained that A, the device that the the host was holding is basically an iPhone, and we yes. expect more. Yes, and the the negative reaction from that, not only really from you know like the Disney community, but like major newspapers, like the San Francisco Chronicle, was all over this. Yeah, saying that it it, it basically looked like a uh, a Mel Brooks ripoff of Star Wars in terms of like 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 this is Spaceballs, not not Star Wars for, yeah. you know, for rich people, is yeah. what they said.
1: I don't know how. Disney gets out ahead of this. I mean, at this point, they can't change it, right? I mean, we're no, we're, no. We're ninety some days from from opening, or hundred days from opening. I, and, and face it, you've talked about from people who've taken part in, you know, the early play testing. You know, they've got whole chunks of this locked in, and this is steel. This is concrete. Decisions were made three and four years ago about what would be built. Yeah, yeah. You're not you're not changing the lights, light, lights of your experience
0: now. You just no. can't, right? There's no. just the technology doesn't exist to you know, that, that fast, right? But how soon do we get the Star Wars cupcake ad? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard the food is really good. There we um, go. But going back to Samantha's question, um, yeah. here's what I would say, Samantha. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm going uh, on day one. I have a reservation mm-hmm. for the opening day, March first, mm-hmm. of the Galactic Star Cruiser. I mm-hmm. would wait to book until you start hearing about how good it is. Yeah. You know, if it's great, and I hope it is, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the then you know you should book it, and that's that's really my hope, right? Mm-hmm. If I spend $5,000 and I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, right? But, Mm -hmm. but if I get, you know, if I get out of spending $5,000, the appropriate feeling that I got from my $35 experience with the void, I will be thrilled. Mm -hmm. But if not, then we need to know that it's not worth the money, right? Yeah. I just, I'm just surprised that by releasing those two videos, that Mm -hmm. that many people were willing to give up a thousand dollars each and say, you know what, this, there's no way they're going to make this work. Their feet have to be sweating
1: in their shoes, Jim. There's no, no, no. there's got to be a no. lot, a lot of anxious people right now. In Chapek's eyes, this was the next big franchise for the park. Yeah. There were other Galactic Star Cruisers that were going to be built in close proximity to Disney parks. Oh yeah, I mean France, yeah, would get one. Yeah,
0: so okay. so Samantha, I would say you know give it give it ninety days or so, and mm-hmm. uh, and book. You know, one of two things is going to happen. You'll know like right right on March first mm-hmm. whether the first part of the experience lives up to the hype. And you'll see that on, you know, social media for me. People will begin that. blithering immediately. So
1: yeah. 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 And mm-hmm. if
0: it's not, you'll know that pretty quickly too. And there's a chance that, you know, if, um, if there is some valid criticism of the hotel, that Disney, you know, lowers the prices. Mm-hmm. So I would wait. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim gives us the history of holiday overlays at Disney theme parks. We'll be right back. All right, Jim, last week, you and I were in New York to see the Metropolitan Museum of Arts new exhibit titled Inspiring Walt Disney, the Animation of French Decorative Arts. And most of the exhibit talks about Walt and the animators who were inspired by French paintings, furniture, architecture, and stories, you know, and everything from Sleeping Beauty to Frozen, believe it or not, um, to Beauty and the Beast. But one section of that exhibit has the original 1953 prospectus map of Disneyland that Walt and was it Herbie Ryman? Herbie Ryman. Yep. Yeah. They they drew it together over a long weekend in 1953, right before Walt had to hop on a plane to pitch the theme park idea to the TV networks
1: who he wanted to fund it, right? Mm-hmm. And this map is huge. I'd never seen it before live. Had you? I have seen images of multiple times, but never been with the physical map before. So uh, in the yeah. same room, yeah, for legal yeah.
0: reasons, you and the map are not allowed to be <laughs> well, in the yeah. same room.
1: I, I understand. <laughs> Sticky uh, fingers, Len. Sticky right. fingers. Okay.
0: But the thing's, the thing's huge, right? It's mm-hmm. got to be six oh, yeah. or seven feet wide, maybe yeah. four or five feet tall, right? Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not drawn on a legal pad and paper, right? This no. thing is massive, right? Yep. Um. I I'd never seen it in person before. Mm-hmm. I had no idea it was that big. It is only a mere coincidence that later I was uh, kicked out of the Met for uh, <laughs> bringing a tape measure and measuring the size of windows in nearby rooms. Complete misunderstanding. It's all on me. Anyway, Jim, you and I spent a, a while looking at this map up close, as mm-hmm. close as the security guards would allow us. Mm-hmm. Yep. And one of the things in the map, again, the very earliest idea for Disneyland, right? This is mm-hmm. literally coming from Walt's head. Mm-hmm. Right? One of the earliest ideas was this thing in the middle of the map called Holiday Land. So the idea of celebrating holidays in mm-hmm. Disney theme parks goes back to the very first thoughts that Walt had,
1: right? Oh, very much so. All right. Holiday Land was literally the sort of interchangeable space within the park and the notion yeah. was for certain type of types of year it would be sold out for corporate picnics or that sort of thing. But yes, whether it was Fourth of July or Christmas or the like, this was a space that you know Walt hoped to use to take advantage of, of seasonal stuff, and well, the um, thing
0: that the thing that interested me on this was the location of Holiday Land in the mm-hmm. park was essentially where Frontierland is now, right? It's yeah. it's center um, left yep. of the park. This isn't something on the fringe, on the edge, mm-hmm. you know, that people would eventually get to in their afternoon after they mm-hmm. had explored the rest of the park. It's centerpiece.
1: Well, yeah, and in fact, Holiday Land did make it into Disneyland, but it was actually outside of the berm in the final version of the park in fact it went from being in the place of frontier land to frontier land adjacent in fact when people were coming into the park they'd have to walk across the railroad to get into the park from holiday land which is where the circus tent wound up It went from being a circus tent to a beer tent but okay so we never we never really got a holiday land but we did get like holiday overlays right we did and and speaking of which i don't have you been following the story out of california about and related to small world I don't think so. I missed this one. What is it? Okay. Well, again, it's been a tradition at Disneyland Park since the fall of 97 that that Fantasyland attraction would shut down for a couple of weeks in late October. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the interior of this 1964 New York World's Fair attraction would be then festooned with tinsel and Christmas lights. And then right before Thanksgiving, it would reopen a small world holiday. And the only time that this holiday overlay hasn't been done In the past 24 years was, of course, last year when the global pandemic shut down Disneyland Park from March of 2020 through just late April of this year. And it appears that it was that one-year break in doing this holiday overlay that led to what happened on the night of uh, November 10th. And I want to credit here David Koenig, the author of Mouse Tales, uh, who reported the story, I want to say, over on Edge. And that basically, Disneyland cast members were beginning the final phase of reopening this, this Fantasyland attraction. All the propping for it's a small world holiday was in place. All that was left to do, Len, was to refill the over a thousand foot long flume that runs through the show building. Okay. Which would then allow them to pull all the boats out of storage, refloat them in the flume, and bing, you can throw open the doors and this holiday favorite. Can open, but supposedly right after they turned on the water inside of the small world show building, the flume began to leak, and water then began to go to the lowest point in the building, which was the basement and particularly the maintenance room for the Sanuson attraction. Oops, which is where a lot of the mechanics that power. Small World located, not only that land, but right next to this was the stock room for the Small World Toy Shop, which is located at the exit of the Fantasyland attraction. Yeah, so,
0: water doesn't mix well with either electricity or um, goods that want to be sold. There we go. No.
1: Back in mid-November, things were looking pretty bleak. I, you got to remember, most of the technology that powers the Disneyland version was built in the early 1960s. And, and remember that the 64, you know, the Small World for the 64 World's Fair was built. In a crazy rush. There was only eight months between when Walt agreed to produce that, you know, show for Pepsi at the fair to when they cut the ribbon at Flushing Meadow. And so the belief at that point is like the tech that powers this thing is destroyed beyond repair. There was eight feet of water in the maintenance room before when they finally turned off, you know, the thing going into the flume. And early damage estimates were it would be a year or more before the Anaheim version of Small World could could even dream of reopening. That estimate was unacceptable to Disneyland management. They knew how much small world holiday meant to the people in and around Orange County. Sure. There's a lot of folks in Southern California over the past 24 years who have made it a holiday tradition. To, they go to the what's instead of the happiest place on earth, the merriest place on earth yeah. for the weeks between Thanksgiving and New Year's. And then as a family, they ride small world holiday together. So
0: Yeah. And if, the, and if these people aren't annual pass holders, if they're actually paying the hundred bucks or whatever to get in the there park, we go. I mean, that's, a, that's a big chunk of revenue just for that one ride, right? Right.
1: That's right. Yeah. So uh, appropriate enough, given that Small World is a boat-based attraction, Disney declared an all hands on deck. Uh, <laughs> and so you've been waiting for that one, haven't you? I have. I have. I'm sorry. <laughs> But over 20 different departments at the park dropped everything they were doing to pivot to getting the basement of this over 90,000 square foot show building dried out and then getting those nearly 60-year-old mechanics back up and working again. I mean, the
0: good thing is if it's 60-year-old mechanics, it's it's all stuff that we understand. Have you ever opened the hood of like a 1955 car? You could identify every part in, in an engine that's 60 years
1: old. It's not super complicated. Speaking of impressive if you if you you want to find out how um, you know that that it's Small Disney. World was rescued from its flood. There is this great article by Brady McDonald, who wrote for the Orange County Register on December second, uh, that'll walk you through this Herculean task. That that, and what's interesting is that the team of Disney uh, Disney was actually helped out by all of the other Disney theme parks around the globe that had Small World attractions. That they, they they went through their inventories and pulled parts that they needed, and you know, overnighted them to to Anaheim, and but. Obviously- I need the left leg of a platypus. Oh, yeah. yeah. it's the left. Yeah, I got one of those. Yeah, We, yeah, yeah. we got that. Uh, but obviously, step one was pumping all the water out of the building and getting the interiors dry. So then the repairs for the electrical could get underway. So after they pumped out that maintenance room again, which filled eight feet of water. They borrow a crane from the construction site of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, and then they lower an industrial-grade humidifier through the roof of this fantasy-lit <gasps> show building. I mean, the good thing is there's not a lot of humidity in Anaheim, so that, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it's But that's got to be massive, though. It's the size of a car. And and they run it continuously for 48 hours, and then they go in and they <laughs> and look. Was walking around like. Do you need water? I feel like I need water. Do you need water?
0: I'm parched.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But again, 48 hours later, it's bone dry in there. And then it's a a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour effort by over 75 Disneyland employees. And by the way, I want to give a special shout-out to Disneyland Facility Asset Project Manager Joel Medina and Ride System Manager Jason Tomlin, who, who wrote H.E.R.D. on this effort. Wow, The park is still open during the day. And then they do the six Disneyland after hours parties. And they're also shooting the ABC Disney parks holiday special. Sure. And and it's (laughs) like, what, what is that, that hum? Oh, it's a giant industrial strike humidifier. And Hey, can I get your bottle of water? (laughs) Exactly. So can can we turn down the humidifier while Morag here is (laughs) singing over here? Yeah, there we go. All I want for Christmas is water. (laughs) supposed to take a year to, to repair. They did it in three weeks. Yeah, literally a Christmas miracle. And it, wow. it for, throws open its doors on December 6th, just 10 days ago. So, wow. so was Amazing. Small small World Holiday the first seed of a later theme park? No. Country Bear fans will point out that Anaheim's version of a holiday show at Grizzly Hall, the Country Bear Christmas special debuted in November of 84. And that show eventually travels to Walt Disney World and, and Tokyo Disneyland. But Disneyland's first seasonal overlay was done 50 years ago this month. And that's when a 24-foot wide star, which lit up and rotated, by the way, was placed on top of Matterhorn Mountain, which then turned this Tomorrowland thrill ride into a 171-foot tall Christmas tree that could then be seen for miles around Orange County. Oh, nice. But now, see, the thing is, the, the 1961 holiday season, was a significant one for the Disney family because the previous Christmas, Walt and Roy weren't talking to one another. By December of 1960, it actually had been months since the Disney brothers had, had met face to face. So what are Walt and Roy feuding about? This actually dates back to 1954 when when Disney finally signs the deal with the American Broadcasting Company. And they give them the seed money to start construction out in Anaheim. But Walt had also gone to Western Publishing, Mm -hmm. the folks who published all of the comic books featuring Disney characters. And so the downside is that for Disneyland Inc., because these folks provided the seed money, the folks at Western Publishing wound up with a thirteen point eight percent share in Disneyland Inc., whereas the folks at American Broadcasting mm-hmm. they wound up with thirty four point eight percent. So they these two corporations combined own just a, a touch below fifty percent of Disneyland Inc. That's a chunk. That's a chunk, okay, because they're entitled to a percentage of the gate. They are entitled to have some say in what's being built in the park, what's being updated, you know, what's being added. And Walt, who's all about control, doesn't necessarily sit all that well with him. So he makes it a priority. You know, as soon as Disneyland opens, I got to buy those guys out. So he buys out Western Publishing uh, in 1957, and it takes... Till June of 1960. And more to the point, Len, it takes 7.5 million dollars to buy out ABC. Wow. But now he's got back, you know, the the Disneyland Inc is controlled entirely by the Walt Disney Company. So Walt pivots to his brother Roy and isn't it great? Hey, we own, you know, all of Disneyland Inc. And and Roy's like, well, that's not entirely true. You know, the the company does not own all of Disneyland, because you, yourself, Walt, have 16.5% of it. Mm-hmm. More to the point, you also privately own Wed, the company that builds the ride shows and attractions for the park. Uh, all right. We are a publicly held corporation with shareholders, and it is somewhat irresponsible that the guy whose name is on the company uh, seems to be giving himself a sweetheart deal To profit off of Disneyland. So what you really need to do here, little brother, is you need to sell your shares of Disneyland Inc back to the company, you know, and Wed needs to be brought into the Disney company as well. You can't be directly profiting from that. And again, this is older brother Roy telling younger brother Walt, and remember older brother Roy back in the late forties and early fifties was not a big fan of the family fun park idea. Yeah, not only that but uh Walt put
0: up all, uh, his own money.
1: That's it exactly. That's exactly he, it.
0: so I you know I, I kind of see Walt's position on this Oh, that, well uh, that
1: was you know. th- no no, you've nailed it. That this right. is Walt, this is the <laughs> yeah. Walt who, who cashed in his life insurance. This is the guy right. who sold, you know, his family's first home at a uh, smoke tree ranch that he and yeah. Lillian loved. And so yeah, this was not something that Walt wanted to hear and he, he's he's not he's not initially receptive to the ideas no, no. right? okay, And so they they have a big fight and they stop yeah. talking. Now mind yeah. you, Business as usual continues at Disney Productions. But if Walt needs Roy's okay on something, that message now travels third hand. One of Walt's guys reaches out to Roy's boy, who then talks to his boss, and Roy then you know hands it to his person, who hands it back to Walt's person, and it becomes the corporate version of the little party game telephone. And finally, after suffering through one of the most difficult holiday seasons in of their lives it's Walt's life of Lillian and Roy's wife Edna who just lower the boom. <laughs> <laughs> you two knuckleheads come here <laughs> you know that's it exactly you know yeah. and you, you got to remember that these two ladies into these people but they they met in the ink and paint department at Disney Studios back in the twenties. So they've been through the mill with these two guys. So it's like they say form a unified front and basically turn to the husband and say, you're both behaving like idiots. You're tearing the family apart of super stupid, silly things. You need to start, you know, behaving like grown men, not little boys. So grow up. More importantly, make up. And Walt, who believed very strongly in the, the maxim that powers every truly successful marriage, which Glenn, as you know, is happy wife Happy life. So he follows Lillian's orders. He has a member of his staff go out and seek out an authentic Native American peace pipe, which he then has sent to his brother along with a letter of apology and concession. Wow. Nice. And Roy is so touched by this gesture that for the rest of his life in his office at Disney Studios, Roy prominently displays this peace pipe. And in fact, what he did is that there was a portrait of his brother in his office. And what Roy did is he would he placed the peace pipe up on the top of the frame of the photo. And if somebody noticed it and mentioned it business basically stopped in Roy's office cuz he then told the story of and I'm going to tell you about fighting with my brother and not talking to him for 9 months and he, he gets up he uncorks a crystal <laughs> bottle of bourbon pours
0: a couple of drinks and says let me tell you something kid there, there you
1: go <laughs> But Roy Wood, as part of the story, I mentioned, even though my brother apologized and sent me that peace pipe in June of 1960, it still wasn't until nearly four years later in 1964 that Walt finally does, in fact, sell his shares of Disneyland Inc. And and as well, signs over Wed to the company, which shows that... Little brothers, even the famous ones can still be pains. I mean to be to be fair,
0: between sixty and sixty four the company was doing a lot of things, so like the oh. accounting maneuvers in the back are, you know,
1: yep. slightly less important. No, 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 absolutely. But but anyway, this this explains why for the 1961 holiday season, Walt was in the mood to celebrate. And in fact, as the story goes, he walks into wed in July of 61, which is just a month or so after he, he makes up with his brother. You know, uh, In fact, by the way, if you, you search online, folks, for Walt Disney and Peace Pipe, you can actually read the note. That Walt wrote to his brother after they made up and, you know, about how happy he is and the clouds of smoke that came out of the peace pipe, how happy he was to see those. But anyway, so Walt goes over to wed and says, I'm in the mood to celebrate Christmas in a big way at the parks this year. You know, Roy and I have stopped farting. What can we do to make Christmas at Disneyland even merrier this year? And so, mm-hmm. you know, there was talk about, well, we can get a bigger tree. You know, they, they go up to Mount Shasta and they cut down a, a, you know, a white fir. But but John Hench was the one who actually supposedly suggested, well, look, we got this giant tree-shaped thing in the middle of the park, the minor Let's just throw a star on top of it, and then at night we'll shine green spotlights on it. And again, you know, we've got a Christmas tree. And so that's what they go with. And, and, and in fact, that was a tradition at Disneyland right up until 1972, Len. Oh, fantastic. This idea of shining green spotlights on the Matterhorn would be revisited in 1991, when uh, there was that talk of the, the year that the Muppets would take over Disneyland. But Ooh. we should talk about that on another show.
0: So I've actually found the uh, the letter that uh, Walt sent to Roy. Do you mind if I read it? No, go right ahead. All right. So it's uh, 1961, like you said. It says, Dear Roy, it's wonderful to smoke the pipe of peace with you again. The clouds that rise are very beautiful. I think between us over the years, we have accomplished something. There was a time when we couldn't borrow $1,000. And now I understand we owe $24 (laughs) But in all sincerity, happy birthday and many more. And I love you, uh, Walt. Uh, And there's a PS that says, I can assure you that Lily subscribes to the above and wants to join me in wishing you many, many more happy birthdays to come. And then a PPS, maybe we can all get together in Paris. We'll be there from Sunday, June 25th through Wednesday, the 28th, Walt. That's just a great, uh, great letter.
1: But, but more to the point, you know, acknowledging Lily, which you know, in yeah. fact, she's got you know my arm right behind my back right now.
0: So. <laughs> she's holding gun against my back and making me say, eh, everyone's happy. Everyone's yeah, we got happy. It.
1: There we
0: go. So, Great story, Jim. Great
1: story. No, no, no. Again, just happy to share it, especially with all of us headed in home for the holidays. And yep, got to make it work, folks. Got to make so, it work. Exactly. Got to make it work. All right. <laughs> so. All right, folks. That's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over
0: to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. We'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including live shows Jim and I have recorded in all four Walt Disney World theme parks. On next week's show, Jim tells the story of how Disney once threw Baby New Year off the Matterhorn. (laughs) (laughs) You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be leading nature hikes to see the bald eagle migration on Saturday, January 8th, 2022 at the Roaring River State Park on the outskirts of beautiful Cassville, Missouri. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and Raider Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.